Good morning, and welcome to the Sunday stream at Flat Creek Baptist Church. We are so thankful that you've joined us today, whether you're watching online or you are joining us on Glory FM 97.5. We are grateful for you being here today, and we look forward to worshiping alongside of you this morning. God bless you, and enjoy the stream. Good morning. Welcome to Flat Creek Baptist Church. Are you all excited we have a risen Savior to worship this morning? Hey, that was a pretty good response. Right out the gate. Let's go ahead and stand. Let's sing together. My feet are on the rock. Good morning. You can be seated. 
I hope you all are doing well. Welcome to Flat Creek Baptist Church. If it is your first time visiting us, you can look in the pew in front of you and there will be a little visitor's card. We would love for you to fill that out and see how we can come alongside of you. If it's your hundredth time here at Flat Creek, we are still just as happy to have you here. Uh, so I hope you guys are having a good week and I'm so glad that you came to worship with us this morning. We have a lot of special things in store, um, sending off our own Bella today. Um, so we are very excited about that, but I hope that you will join us in worship as we continue on. So thank you. <laughs> I want to invite y'all to stand and look, here's some instruction. Look for a visitor and make sure they feel welcome to be part of the church family this morning. Y'all stand and greet each other as we sing this next song. Thank you so much. Please be seated. Um, we have a very special portion of service uh, that we are going to uh, partake in at this time. We're going to ask Miss Bella to come up here. Y'all give Bella a big hand today as she comes. Listen, we. I'm begging you not to do it. We love. Listen, we. Got a lot of people love you. If you are visiting with us, 
You realize this is a very popular young lady around here. Listen, we love Bella so much um, here at Flat Creek, and she's one of our own. Came through our youth group, um, went to college. Uh, then God called her away to go on mission over the summer, last summer to Alaska. And now God has called her to take the next year of her life uh, to go and be a part of God's mission and reaching the globe through the world race. She's going to be going to six different countries over the next 11 months to take the gospel of good news. I read this verse. I read this verse to her in the first service. Um, it comes from the book of Romans, chapter 10, beginning in verse 13. It says, Whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? And just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. And I told this to Bella in the first service. And, uh, and she looked at me weird and funny, and you'll probably look at me weird and funny too, but it's what a preacher told me when I first uh, was ordained into gospel ministry. He said, you know, Zach, you have beautiful feet uh, because the Bible says how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel of good news. Uh, there in John chapter 13, and those final moments of the Lord Jesus' life, Bella, just before uh, sending them to go into the world just before he went to the cross and died for the sins of the world. Uh, Jesus did a very symbolic and meaningful act where he washed the feet of his disciples. Uh, in washing their feet, it was not just, not just really, uh, you know, purifying them, but even more so, it was consecrating them. It was setting them apart for the work of the ministry. Uh, Bella had no idea I was going to do this today. She's already telling me not to do it, uh, but that's okay. Uh, listen, uh, we're going to have a time here where we're going to ask Bella to have a seat and take off her shoes and her socks and going to wash her feet today as we set her apart for gospel ministry to go and take the gospel to the nation. So if you could just... joy it is, Flat Creek, for a church to be able to send out one of their own uh, into the mission field, set apart to do the work of the ministry. Would you just join me in praying for Bella today? Uh, Father, as we wash the feet of your servant, uh, Bella, Lord, we are doing more than just, uh, you know, doing a symbolic act of, of, of washing away defilements or infirmities. Really what we're doing today, Lord, is just setting her apart for gospel work and gospel ministry. Just as your word says, how beautiful are the feet who bring the gospel of good news, the gospel of peace. So these feet that we have just set apart for you are going to go to the ends of the earth over the next year to take your gospel into some places where a lot of people are not willing to go. Uh, Lord, I suppose over the next year uh, that her feet are going to pick up a lot of dirt, a lot of mud, a lot of grime, 
I suppose, God, that there are going to be days where her feet are going to hurt. I suppose there are going to be days where all she wants to do is, is just sit down for a little while. But there's going to be something inside of her that says, Bella, you got to press on. Uh, you got to press on into this mountain village. Or you got to press on through this desert. Or you got to press on to these people because there are people there who have never heard my name. And on those days, God, I pray that she might look back to this moment at Flat Creek Baptist Church as we as a congregation set her apart for gospel ministry. And she may remember that although she may be walking through those places with just a, a small team, there's an entire body of Christ standing behind her. We, we support her, Lord, not simply financially. We support her spiritually and we support her through the Holy Spirit because God we know our spirit bears witness with her spirit that she is called to this task and so God I pray that you would use her and I pray God that you would speak through her and that you would send people her direction that need to hear your gospel I pray for Luca I pray for Michelle I pray for her brother I pray for their family because the next Year is going to be difficult as they send off their daughter, their sister. It's not going to be easy. There are going to be moments that they wish she could just come home. God, just as much faith as it takes to go, it takes faith to send. And I pray for them that you may strengthen them to get behind their daughter and pray with all their might that they might see great fruit for this. At the end of the day, it's one year. She has a whole eternity to look forward to, and who knows the eternity of those that are going to be touched and blessed and changed forever by the work she's going to do. So we set her apart for you and ask you, God, to use her. It's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen. Brother Caleb. I want to invite you to stand and let's let's continue singing it as we get ready to sing this next song though i want you to keep in mind that missions call that we all have we might not all be called to go to the far reaches of the the world but we're all called to reach the world for the gospel maybe that's maybe that's you on your knees in prayer maybe that's through giving financially uh mr brian gave a wonderful sunday school lesson last week and, and just talked about all the many things that we each can do as christians no matter where we're at and so this is one thing we get to do. We get to sing. We get to worship. We get to humbly come together with our church family and praise the Lord. Uh, as we think mission-minded, let's sing this song. Without Jesus as the foundation, there is no mission. Without Jesus as the foundation, there is no call. Without Jesus as the foundation, there's no salvation at all. So let's sing this song together. Jesus. 
Jesus, the only one who could ever sing. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. We live for you.
this morning. Thank you so much. You may be seated.
thank you so much to our praise team. At this time, we will dismiss children ages kindergarten through the fifth grade who would like to go to children's church. Uh, Miss Breeze and our workers will meet you right here behind the piano, and you can make your way that direction at this time. If you'll open your Bibles today to the book of Romans, chapter number 7, the book of Romans, chapter 7. I told Breeze in the first service, she took half our congregation when she left. <laughs> we praise God for all of those kids that are here and all the youth, all the young folks. Everybody from the young to the old, they're welcome here at Flat Creek and we're so thankful. Amen. Romans chapter number 7 is where we're going to be today. and We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 7 verse, through verse number 13. Romans 7 through verse 13. Now, let me say this to you about this section of Scripture that we're about to walk into, Romans 7, verse 7 through verse number 25. Okay, this is a very personal text to the Apostle Paul. As a matter of fact, from chapter 7, verse 7 through 25, he's going to use the words, I, me, and my, 46 different times. Now, friends, debates have raged throughout the centuries as to the nature of what Paul is writing in these verses. Is he speaking of himself or is he speaking hypothetically? Is he dealing with sin in the life of an unbeliever? Is he dealing with sin in the life of a believer? And regardless of where you might fall in those different categories, one thing is for certain. It's hard to deny the personal nature of these verses of Scripture. So, I agree with those who believe that verse 7 through 13 deal with Paul's battle against sin before Christ, and that verses 14 through 25 deal with Paul's battle with sin after coming to Christ. So, saying that, I want us to talk about the subject of sin this morning, and I want us to, to look at a message that I entitle, The Monster Within. Listen to what the Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter 7, verse 7 through 13. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I once was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So then, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and the commandment is righteous and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin, in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good, so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. Would you join me for a time of prayer? And as you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning, I just want to put before you that in just a few moments, we're going to come to the end of this service. And when we do, Brother Caleb's going to come back to the stage and Miss Breeze, our children's director, is going to come to the stage and we're going to sing a song. 
that we in the Baptist church call a hymn of invitation. And when that hymn of invitation is given today, there might be somebody in the room that has never given their life to Christ Jesus. And in just a few moments, when we finish preaching the word, we're going to give you an opportunity to make the greatest decision you could ever make. And that is to be saved by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so right now, you may even feel the knocking of the Holy Spirit on your heart's door. And I want you to listen today to all that's said. And at the end, if God's calling you, I want you to respond in saving faith for the forgiveness of your sins. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. May this time be transformative, informative, and may we leave with a heart set on worship. We love you, Lord, and say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, sin is one of those words that is seldom heard anymore. In the year 1963, President Abraham Lincoln was the first president of the United States to call what is now known as the National Day of Prayer. If you could go back to 1863 and you could read that proclamation that Abraham Lincoln put before the United States in 1863, it was so couched in biblical language that it was virtually a Christian document issued from the White House. On that day in 1863, Abraham Lincoln stood before those gathered and it was reported in papers across our land that the United States president used the word sin and called the nation to repent. A hundred years went by and the United States Congress passed a law that every president henceforth on a certain day in May should call a national day of prayer. And on that day, the president should issue a proclamation. President Eisenhower, 100 years after Abraham Lincoln, was the first to issue a proclamation. And he went back to the words of Abraham Lincoln, and he also mentioned the word sin, and he also called the nation to repent. However, the following year, when Eisenhower stood to issue his proclamation, he did not mention the word sin. And he did not call the nation to repent. Since that day, not a single United States president has ever mentioned the word sin or repentance at the National Day of Prayer. Not Kennedy or Johnson, Nixon or Carter, not Reagan or Bush, not Clinton or George W., not Obama, not Trump, and not Biden. None of them, over almost 80 years, have used the word sin or repentance again. Dr. Carl Menninger, who's a psychiatrist and author of many influential books, once wrote a book entitled, Whatever Became of Sin? And in that book, Menninger says these words, the very word sin, which seems to have disappeared, was once a proud word. It was once a strong word, an ominous and a serious word. It described a central point in every civilized human being's life plan and lifestyle. But the word has went away. The word has almost disappeared. The word along with the notion. And then he asked the question, why? Doesn't anyone sin anymore, he said? Doesn't anyone believe in sin? It was John Phillips, the great preacher, in his commentary on the book of Romans, who said the following. Men try to cover sin. 
They try to excuse sin. They try to camouflage sin. They call it by respectable names. A man is no longer a drunkard. He's an alcoholic. Drunkenness is no longer considered a sin. It's considered a disease. A person is not a liar. He's a misleader. Somebody else has suggested that he's not even a misleader. He's just an extrovert with a lively imagination. <laughs> Men speak of people as having complexes and phobias and inhibitions. They speak of a book as being daring. God would call it filthy. They say the man has had an affair, but God says he committed adultery. This is one of the games men play. And a deadly and dangerous game it is. And indeed, it is. The masking of sin to downplay the word in order to soften the blow. May it never be. Friends, you may not like to hear it. And it may not make Flat Creek a popular place to visit. But friends, there is an enemy. An enemy which lurks ever so present in the room right now. A monster, really. And someone would say, hey, Satan is his name. No, not Satan. For the enemy I speak of this morning made Satan who he is. Somebody else would say, well, if not Satan, then certainly hell. No, not even hell can match the sting of the enemy of which I speak. Somebody else would say, well, then certainly insanity, but it's far worse than insanity. The monster I speak of today is the most terrifying monster of all. He reigns in all of us. Yet we protect him. We pet him. We coddle him. We worship him. And the sad fact is we are even willing to die on his behalf. All the while, he's the one who's killing us. His name is sin. This is the monster within us all is a monster which must be hidden no more, a monster which must be slain if you want to live. Now, how is this monster, how is sin brought to light? Well, friends, sin is only revealed by the grace of God. Sin is only revealed by the grace of God. Now, you might remember last week when we began walking through Romans chapter number 7 that Paul was battling the legalist. The legalist that espouses that salvation is found in Jesus plus something. It, it can't just be by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Salvation has to be more than that. That's just too simple. But, but friends, this is what Paul has been arguing across the entire book. Across the entire book of Romans, what Paul has been telling us is grace is enough and the law can never save. Now, some, somebody at this point is naturally going to raise the objection against Paul. Coming out of the text that we read last week from chapter 7, verse 1 through 6. And they're going to lay claim that Paul is actually the antinomian. Now, you may not know that word. We talked about it last week. Antinomianism means against the law. They're going to raise this notion that Paul is against the law. And they're going to say, well, Paul, you teach that grace is sufficient by itself and it's not by works therefore let us enjoy our liberty because his grace is all we need and his grace will always forgive us Paul knows this objection is coming and despite writing the entire chapter 6 to stand against it 
lest there be any confusion as to where Paul stands on this issue, he's going to make himself crystal clear. Verse number 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Is somehow the law in and of itself sinful? Paul knows with everything he's written, somebody's going to accuse him of making such a claim. What does he say? May it never be. In the Greek, it's, it's actually written like this. God forbid it. And, and watch what Paul does here. He introduces a concept of the law that must be recognized by all effective witnesses of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Friends, in American culture, there are all kinds of evangelism programs and strategies. And all of these are designed to equip you in order to go out and share your faith. I can remember growing up in youth group. And, and every year we would go on these mission trips. And when we go on these mission trips, they would, they would train us to share the gospel. And they would give us these big like coloring books is what, the, what I call them. They, they weren't actually coloring books, but, but inside of these books, all the pages would be different colors. You would have one that was green and one that was blue and one that was white and one that was yellow and one that was red and one that was black. And then each color represented something else. And, and it was all meant to, to share the gospel. You might think of those witnessing bracelets that some of you wear, how they have these different colors and every bead means something else. I can remember being in Bible college and we had this evangelism strategist come to Fruitland Bible College and he came with this thing called the Evangicube. Has anybody ever seen an Evangicube before? It's almost like a Rubik's Cube and it, it, it flips all these different ways and on every way you flip it, there's a different picture and, and in every way you flip it, you're supposed to be able to use it in order to share the gospel. I can remember going through evangelism explosion. Some of you have been through that. The two diagnostic questions. If you were to die right now, where would you spend eternity? Second question, if you were to stand before God in judgment and he were to say, why should I allow you into heaven? How would you answer that question? Friends, I've been to trainings. I've been to seminars. I've been to conventions, all designed with one purpose in mind, to teach you how to share your faith. And listen to me, I'm not knocking any of those things. By all means, if you use the Evangel Cube or you use a witnessing bracelet or you use gospel tracks, I'm just thankful you're sharing the gospel. Amen. But perhaps Paul has given us the most effective evangelism strategy and resource, the law of God. Friends, we must ask the question, why does a person need to be saved? Does a person need to be saved simply because you've, you've never heard of the love of God and somehow it's charged to me to, to bring you into the light so that you can understand just how unconditionally God loves you? Does a person need to be saved because you're not fulfilling your God-given purpose? But does a person need to be saved today because for some reason you're not living up to the potential that God placed in you? No, friends, a person needs to be saved biblically because they have sinned. And I know that you don't like to hear that, but let me remind you of what the prophet Ezekiel said. You remember in a time, the prophet Ezekiel, 
He was reading a scroll, and God told him what? He said, I want you to eat the scroll. And Ezekiel begins to eat the scroll. And what does Ezekiel say? It was sweet to the taste, but it was bitter to the stomach. And friends, there are portions of the word of God that's sweet to taste. We love John 3, 16, don't we? I mean, it's sweet. We love Philippians 4, 13. It's, it's sweet. We love Revelation where Revelation says there'll be no more death. There'll be no more crying. There'll be more, no more mourning, no more pain. We love that. That's sweet. But then when the word of God cuts us, it's bitter to the stomach. And the Bible says we have all sinned and therefore we are sinners. Now, if you're here today and you believe in the Bible, you know this is a true statement. However, the lost world doesn't know this. Listen to the wording of the Apostle Paul in these verses. And remember that he's sharing about his life pre-conversion. Listen to what he says in verse 7. He says, I would not have come to no sin. Meaning that there was a time in his life where he had no knowledge whatsoever that his actions were sinful. You know, I'm always amazed at, at people when they get upset at the lost world. I mean, how could they? I mean, can you imagine that, that this individual would do that? I mean, I mean, don't they know? No, they don't know. Why do we get so frustrated at the lost world for acting lost? They're lost. He goes on to say in verse 8, apart from the law, sin is dead. Meaning, without the knowledge of the law, sin lies dormant. Not that a person is not held accountable. Romans chapter 2 verse 14 through 16 tells us that they are held accountable. But sin is dead because the person doesn't have any sense that what they're doing has violated God's law. But perhaps the most striking of all these verses is actually verse 9. Listen to what he says. I once was alive apart from the law. Friends, there was a time in Paul's life, despite having no knowledge of sin, there was a time in Paul's life, despite being dead in trespasses and sins, where he thought he was alive. There was a time when he could boast in his own achievements. You might remember Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. If anyone else has mind to put confidence in the flesh, I have far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul says if there was anyone who could boast in his life pre-conversion, it was me. I once thought I was alive. Friends, so many are there right now. They're boasting in the here and now. This verse gripped my heart this week as I considered the lost world. How many people think that they are living? They live by the moral code, let us eat, let us drink, let us be merry, for tomorrow we die. Everything in their life is about the here and the now. Paul says they love this present world. They strut about and they're lauded by others and they think this is life. Man, I'm really living now, though they're actually dead in their trespasses and sins. Friends, this was all of us apart from Christ. Whether you were saved as a small child or you come to Christ later in life, it doesn't matter. There was a time when you were dead in your sins, but you thought you were alive. So how does an individual 
who lives for the here and the now, an individual who's living the good life, come to the conclusion that they are sinners in need of a Savior. The law of God. You see, apart from the law, a person feels as if they are alive. And they don't realize or grasp the concept of their lostness. Therefore, in any gospel presentation, we must bring forth the law in order that a person might come to the conclusion that they have transgressed the law of God and have been separated from him and stand condemned. Now, let me show you how this works. So I brought a whiteboard with me today. And let me show you how this works. Now, don't get too excited. I'm not, to give you about, I'm not about to give you a big Greek lesson or anything. I know that would excite you greatly, wouldn't it? All right, so here we go. Now, now many of you, if you've come to Flat Creek for any time, you, you've heard me say this, but I've never drew it for you. If you're here today for the first time, you may hear this for the first time. So the Greek word for sin is the Greek word harmatia. It means literally to miss the mark. So if we were going to draw this out, we would just simply draw a bullseye. Okay, I'll do my best to draw a bullseye. Here we go. So here's the bullseye right there in the middle. To miss the mark. This is the definition, the most basic definition of sin. So I got my son Tucker right here. And let's just say that I got this arrow. It doesn't really have a tip on it. Don't, be, don't worry. I got this arrow. Actually, it's so weird. Mr. Jerry Sexton found this in our sanctuary after last service. Isn't that strange? <laughs> Praise God for the police officer. Amen. <laughs> I don't know who brought this, but anyway, so let's just say that I had Tucker. I gave him this arrow and I gave him a bow and I had him stand 100 yards away. And I said, okay, son, I want you to aim, and I want you to hit the bullseye. And let's say that Tucker did it. He got 100 yards away, and I mean, he fired, and he hit dead center. We'll put a red X for that. I mean, just right, right in the middle. I mean, he nailed the bullseye. And let's just say I looked at Tucker and said, I can't believe you did that. Do it again. And Tucker stood back, and he fired again. And let's say that time... He was such a perfect shot that he actually split the arrow in half. I mean, I'm amazed at this point. Wow, I didn't know you were such an archer, son. Do it again. A hundred yards away, he hits it again. I mean, splits the arrow in half. And let's say 100 times in a row, I stand him back there and I say, shoot the target. And let's say that every single time he hits it dead in the middle, splitting the arrow that he fired just before. What are we going to say about him? We're going to say, you are a perfect shot. Because you hit the target every single time. But on the 101st time, I stand him 100 yards away. I say, do it again. And he fires. And this time, just by an inch, he hits right here. You know what we cannot say about him anymore? We cannot say... That he's a perfect shot. Do you know why? Because he missed the mark. And friends, when we think about sin and we think about the law of God, this is what the law does. 
When we bring the law to light, it makes us realize that we've missed the mark. Let me show you how it works. So let's just take the Ten Commandments, for example. You all know them. And let's just take the, the most simple, basic of all ten. Number nine, thou shalt not bear false witness. In other words, you shall not lie. Now let me ask you a question. Have you ever lied? If you say no, you just missed the mark because you just lied. <laughs> Commandment number nine, do not bear false witness. Do not lie. Everybody in this room just admitted they're liars and they've missed the mark. Every one of us in the room are right here. Last Sunday, there was a young girl after service, I guess 14, 15 years old, said she wanted to have a relationship or get to know God a little bit better. And, and, and I went up to my office, me and Bella and Nyla and this young girl, and we sat down with her and up there in my office have a whiteboard just like this. And I drew this on the board. And when I showed her that she had missed the mark, a brokenness just came over this young girl because she realized she was a sinner. What a grace of God that, that sin is actually revealed through the law. Listen to what John Piper says. John Piper says, oh, the perils of not knowing our sin. There's a great sadness that comes from not being saddened by knowing our sin. There's a great pain that comes to the soul and to the marriage and to the family and to the church and to the world from not tasting the pain of knowing our sin. There's a great self-destruction that comes from not experiencing the self-devastation of knowing our sin. There is an eternal loss that comes from not losing our pride and the knowledge of our sin. If there's any hope and any faith and any joy and any peace and any love, it will come from knowing our sin. And so then he concludes by saying, so get to know your sin. What a grace of God that he's given us his law because without the knowledge of the law, we would have no idea that we need a savior. Someone would say, well, well, you're not held accountable if you don't know the law. You are held accountable. Because there's a moral law which has been writ written on your heart and the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, you will be held accountable. But the only way you would ever know that you actually missed the mark, the only way that you would ever know that you're not alive, you're actually dead, is if we bring to light the law of God to show you that you have missed the mark. Now listen to what Paul does because he is genius. I mean, Paul is always one step ahead. Because somebody would say, well, I'm not a liar. I mean, gen generally speaking, I tell the truth. I don't have any other gods. I've never made an idol for myself and worshipped it. I've never took God's name in vain. I've remembered the Sabbath. I've kept it holy. I've always honored my father and mother. I've never murdered. I've never committed adultery. I've never stolen. So I'm good. But what does Paul say? Listen, this is why Paul's such a genius. He gets one step ahead of the enemy. For I would not have known about coveting. If the law had not said, you shall not covet. Why does he bring up coveting? Because every one of the other nine commandments deal with the external, what others can see. But coveting is the only one of the commandments that goes internal. Nobody can see your lust for somebody else's possessions. 
And Paul goes inward now. And this is exactly what Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 27 and 28. He says, so you've never committed adultery? Have you ever looked at a woman with lust in your heart? You've already committed adultery against her. You see, friends, the law of God reveals this to us, that we are all guilty before the eyes of a righteous and holy God. Every single one of us have missed the mark. However, just because the law is a revelation of God's grace, let me remind everybody in the room today that sin is a formidable foe. Sin does not go down without a fight. Augustine said, the law is not at fault but our evil and wicked nature. Even as a heap of lime is still and quiet until water is poured on it, but then it begins to smoke and burn, not from the fault of the water, but from the nature of the lime, which will not endure it. Friends, sin wants to live. In fact, sin can only live if you allow it to. And so... Sin wages a war against you this morning in order to stay alive. And what we will see as we continue walking through Romans 7 is that even after salvation, this is still true. But this morning, at least, let's talk about the unbeliever. And can I just say to you today that sin prefers to remain undetected. For then it can live on without your knowledge. Think about that man who had a son who was sitting in his living room one day and the little boy was looking at the front door. His dad had left it open. It was in the heat of the summertime. His dad was in the back and the little boy was sitting there. And through the door came a snake. And the little boy began to shout, Daddy, there's a snake in the house. There's a snake in the house. The dad shouted back and said, It's just your imagination, son. There's no snake in the house. No, daddy, I see him. He's in the house. And he continued to plead with his father to come take a look. And the snake went into a closet. The dad came into the living room. He looked around kind of half-heartedly. He said, son, it's just your imagination. There's no snake in the house. No, daddy, he's in the closet. You need to look in the closet. The dad goes into the closet. He looks behind all the clothes. He looks into all the drawers and the dresser that was in the closet. He said, son, it's just your imagination. There's no snake in the closet. You imagine it. No, Daddy, I saw the snake. And so finally, he pulled everything out of the closet, and there it was in the back, coiled up in the corner, a snake. And I wonder this morning how many snakes have crawled into the closet of your heart, and you might not even know it's there. You see, sin has a way of crawling in undetected into our heart's door and slithering right in without us even noticing him sometimes. But here's the thing about sin. When sin is detected, when you realize this morning that you've transgressed God's law, do you know what sin does? Sin begins to fight. Just like a snake that's cornered will begin to strike. So sin takes that which is good, the law, and sin actually uses the law as leverage to continue living. Sin actually uses the law to remain alive. This is how you know just how cunning and crafty our enemy really is. You would think that if something exposed sin, that sin would fight against that which exposed it. But instead, sin uses the law to its own advantage. 
That's not what Paul says in verse number 8, but sin. Taking opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. So you would think that when coveting was exposed, that coveting would now die. But instead, sin is so crafting and so cunning that it uses the law, which is meant to bring life to Paul, and actually uses it as leverage to continue living. Now, Paul is coveting continuously. He can't stop the lust in his heart for things that are not his. Probably the best illustration I could give you of this are, are two roads. One road is in Germany and one road's in the United States. The road in Germany is called the Autobahn. And on the Autobahn, there is no speed limit. You can go as fast or as slow as you want. In the United States, we have the interstate. And on the interstate, there is a speed limit. Actually, there's a maximum and a minimum speed limit on the interstates of America. The Autobahn in Germany, no speed limit whatsoever, actually has one of the lowest death rates in the world. For every one billion miles that Germans drive, less than two people die. The United States, for every one billion miles American drivers drive on the interstate, close to five people will die. Now that seems backward, doesn't it? In Germany, the Autobahn, there's no speed limit. They have a low death rate. In America, there's the interstate with the speed limit. We have a high death rate. What's the difference? Well, it's simple. The law. You see, something in us, when we see that sign going down 85 that says 70 miles an hour, something in us rises up and we think, you know what? I bet I can go faster than that. As a matter of fact, I know the cops won't stop me if I don't go more than 10 miles over the speed limit. <laughs> Spoken from a man who drives the interstate every day. But what do we do? Something rises up in us. And we say, let's see how fast I can really go without getting caught. Coming down Flat Creek Road right here, there's a corner. And there's a sign that says, this, this turn should not be taken at more than... 35 miles an hour, every day I come down Flat Creek Road, something rises up in me and goes, I bet you can take it at 45. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you whether I do that or not. <laughs> but the law, what does it do? It leverages that which is good against us. I mean, think about the Garden of Eden. The law was good. As long as you don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will live. That's a good law. Just obey it. What does sin do? It takes that which is good and leverages it for itself. Did God really say that? You're not really going to die. He's so subtle that he actually uses the law to tempt us. One writer said, in other words, when sin sees the law, it sees red and it runs wild, hurrying into rebellion and wickedness. The law thus does not let sleeping dogs lie. Charles Spurgeon once said, that must be a very terrible power which gathers strength from that which should restrain it and rushes on the more violently in proportion as it's reigned in. Sin kills men. By that which was ordained to life, it makes heaven's gifts the stepping stones to hell, uses the lamps of the temple 
to show the way to perdition and makes the ark of the Lord, as in Uzzah's case, the messenger of death. Sin is that strange fire which burns the more fiercely for being damped, finding fuel in the water that was intended to quench it. The Lord brings good out of evil, but sin brings evil out of good. Sin launches a relentless assault against us. Paul says in verse number 9, I once was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. This would have been a shocking statement to all the Jews who would read this book. Because all the Jews thought that just by being Jewish and just by being the very virtue of being given the law, that that meant they had life. And as long as they filled it outwardly, they were good to go. But Paul says, no, you have broken the law of good. You are no better than a pagan Gentile. You were a transgressor and you are a sinner. Verse 10, verse 11, and this commandment, which was to result in life, Proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and it killed me. Paul says this commandment which was to result in life. Remember, friends, this is the heart of the law. The heart of the law is life. It was there in Genesis 3. Follow this law and you will live. The day you transgress this law, the day you violate this law, you will die. Live up to the standards of the law, have life, life eternal. But sin, leveraging that which was good against us. Adam sinned. And we have all fallen short. And we have all died. We have all missed the mark. Friends, this is why the gospel is such good news. Don't you remember that message from last week in Paul's battle against legalism? He taught us we're no longer married to the law. Because through the body of Christ, we have died to the law in order to be joined to or be married to him. To Christ for one purpose, that we might serve in the newness of the spirit and not the oldness of the letter. What did he say? 2 Corinthians 3, 17. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Friends, you are not bound by a religious code. No religious code on earth can save you. No religious code on earth can keep you. And no religious code on earth can earn God's favor and blessing upon your life. The law cannot save you. The law points you and highlights your desperate need for a savior. To attempt to earn salvation by your works is an endless pursuit which will only leave the one who tries to climb that mountain alone and teetering on the edge of a cliff that overlooks a lake of fire. A cliff which you cannot afford to stumble while standing on because if you do, your destiny is in the bottomless pit. For this is why the gospel of Christ Jesus is such good news. He accomplished what you could not. He not only climbed the mountain for you, but he also drank the cup of God's fiery indignation set against you. And when he drank the very last drop, he cried out, it is finished. He gave up his spirit and he died. And he rose three days later victorious over death, hell, and the grave. This, my friends, is why you are not bound to a religious code to procure your salvation. 
For if you were saved by a religious code in light of the sufferings of Christ, not only did Christ die in vain, but this would also insinuate that the sufferings of Christ are not complete. Therefore, you have to somehow add to that which Christ said is finished. Let me ask you a question. Was it finished or not? According to Scripture, it is finished. The Lord Jesus has provided a way for the monster within, for sin to be defeated in your life. The blessed God came down, took the monster by the horns, and crushed his ugly head. Amen. Friends, this is the love story of all love stories. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And can I just add, we don't even realize how sinful we really are in the eyes of a holy God. We think we're not all that bad. But let me remind you, being dead in your trespasses and sins, the Greek word necros, it's a festering, rotten corpse. The stench that you just can't get out of your nostrils. Imagine a festering, rotten spirit that's dead. Vile and ugly. The stench overwhelming. This is what God sees when he looks at us, yet he died for us. What kind of love is this? Praise be unto God for the law, the law which opens our eyes and our hearts to see ourselves as God sees us in order that we might find salvation in Christ Jesus. This is why Paul closes with verse 13 by extolling the law of God. What does he say here? He says, so then the law is holy, the commandment is holy, it is righteous, and it is good. Can you see Paul saying that, writing that with a smile on his face? The word of God, it is holy. The commandment of God, it is good. It is righteous. It is loving. And what does he say? He says, therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? God forbid it. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. What is his conclusion? The law is not sinful. We are. Paul rejoices in the law because the law reveals sin and sin reveals to us our need for a Savior. Paul would say in Philippians 3, after that boast, he would say, Whatever things were gained to me, those things I've considered to be a loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes through God on the basis of faith. How do we get to know our sin? How do we get to know our sin? Well, James gives us the answer in James chapter 1. We get to know our sin, dear brother and sister, by simply looking into the mirror of God's Word. Amen. Do you realize the glorious gift that you hold in your hand this morning? The Bible. Amen. The Word of God. For it contains the law of God. How blessed of a people we are.
He has revealed his word to us by his grace that we might know our sin and our need for him. So the question is, what are you going to do? What does James say? Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not mere hearers only, deluding yourselves. For if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If you look in the mirror this morning, you notice you have a blemish on your face, what are you going to do? Before you come to church, you're going to get a wash rag and you're going to wash the blemish off. You're not going to walk out the door with a blemish on your face. And friends, the Bible, the law of God is a mirror for the soul. Amen. We stand before it this morning and, and, and what do we see? We see that we missed the mark. In fact, in fact, if you want to take a, a, a picture of my life, if, if Zach Williams is standing here, you know what? I mean, all of, all of my arrows are over here. Matter of fact, all of my arrows are on the other side of the cemetery somewhere because I never got close one time to hitting the bullseye. But Christ Jesus hit the bullseye every single time. Amen. Because he hit the bullseye every single time. His righteousness can now be mine. You see, what do I need as somebody who missed the mark? I can never, by the religious codes of the law, find myself righteous in the eyes of a holy God because I've already broken one law, James says, and if I've broken one, I've broken them all. What do I need? I need the righteousness of another. Jesus fulfilled the law now through Christ, through faith in Christ. His righteousness is credited to my account. Amen. I am now clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, one day when I stand before God and that diagnostic question is asked, why should I let you into heaven? I'm not going to say because I fired and hit the bullseye every time because that would be a lie. Instead, I will stand before him and say, because Jesus hit the bullseye. Because Jesus died on my behalf. Because Jesus resurrected three days later. Now, I've been made righteous in your sight because of his finished work. So you're looking into the mirror of God's word. You notice the blemish. The question is, what are you going to do? The Bible says you'd be foolish if you saw the blemish and yet walked away unchanged. So you're just going to walk away knowing you missed the mark? Or will you do something about it? This, my brother and sisters, why we can never be ashamed to call sin for what it is. Sin. We cannot dumb it down. We cannot water it down. We cannot call it something else in order to soften the blow. We must revive the word sin in the church. We must for what are we preaching salvation from if we're not preaching salvation from sin? 
What a shame that there were so many today that will hear messages dedicated to only building them up instead of bringing them face to face with the law of God. For only when they come face to face with the law of God will they realize their sinfulness. And in realizing their sinfulness, look to Christ. Specifically, looking to the cross of Christ. Would you be crucified with Christ and live? You see, friends, in order to live, the monster within must die. The question becomes, has this happened in your life? It can only happen through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. A twofold invitation. I have a very special song planned for you entitled, Boldly I Approach the Throne. Twofold invitation. Number one, you're here today and you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've heard these things. And in hearing these things, it just creates a sense of worship down deep in your soul. Because you're remembering today all that the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you. And for that, you say, thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for your law. Thank you, God, that you have revealed to me my need for a Savior. And you worship. I worship today. Because of all that Jesus has done for me, I realize how sinful I am in the eyes of a holy God. And I realize that had it not been for Jesus, had it not been for the cross, I wouldn't be standing before you today a saved man. So maybe today you're here and you're already saved. You just want to worship. Secondly, you might be here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. And as I said at the very beginning of the message, I gave you an invitation. Maybe today, for the very first time in your life, you would make a decision to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to sing a song called, Boldly I Approach the Throne. And I'm going to ask you to make a very bold move this morning. If you feel the Holy Spirit knocking on your heart's door, you realize you missed the mark, you realize you've transgressed the law of God, and you realize today you are in desperate need of a Savior, and you need to be saved then I'm going to ask you to make a very bold step today, and I'm going to ask you to come down the aisle and take me by the hand and say, Pastor, I need to be saved. There might be somebody seated next to you. That's okay. Just touch them on the shoulder and say, can I please get up? They'll let you up. In fact, they'll celebrate with you. If God is leading you to come, today is your day of salvation. Father, we give you the glory. We give you the praise. We give you the honor. May you have your will and your way during this brief invitation time. Heads bowed and eyes closed as Breeze begins to sing. If you need to be saved today, you can just stay seated right where you are. But if you need to be saved, we're going to ask you to be the one to stand up and come down. You just stand up and you come down as Breeze sings, Boldly I Approach the Throne. You come if the Lord leads you to come. grace alone somehow I stand where even angels fear to tread invited by redeeming love before the throne of God above he pulls me close with nail-scarred hands 
into his everlasting arms when condemnation grips my heart and satan tempts me to despair i hear the voice that soul eternally boldly I approach your throne blameless now I'm running home by your blood I come welcomed as your own into the arms of majesty Behold the bright and risen sun More beauty than this world has known I'm face to face with love himself His perfect spotless righteousness Oh, a thousand years and tongues are not enough to sing his praise. Boldly I approach your throne. Blameless now pray for a young girl named Ashley right now. She's back here with Bella, and, and Bella's just sharing a few things with her. Just pray for Ashley this morning. Uh, we had two people saved last week. We had Anaya. She was in my office last Sunday, and this is who we went over this with. And Anaya gave her heart to Christ this past Wednesday night. We had one of our Awana's children give their hearts to Christ as well. We praise God for that. I'll tell you, it never gets old, friends. It never gets old seeing lives changed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, a, a few things you need to know. First of all, uh, one of our 
kind of just pillars of Flat Creek Baptist Church. Miss Evelyn Dyer passed away uh, this week, and she's her service is going to be this afternoon at 2 p.m. It's a graveside service at Memorial Park. Um, some of you may know Evelyn, uh, and maybe you want to go over and be a part of that service uh, today at 2 o'clock. So please make your way over there, just a sweet and precious lady. Uh, you won't see me there, not because I don't love Miss Evelyn. I was already pre uh, scheduled to preach another funeral today at 2 o'clock in Demarest. So I'm going to be heading out to go down that way. So that's why you won't see me there. But Brother Mike Taylor, who's our former pastor, will be there to share on Miss Evelyn's behalf. And we love Brother Mike and appreciate his willing heart to uh, preach for those who've passed away from Flat Creek. Uh, listen, we do have just a few other announcements, and then we're going to close. First of all, our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Next week, we're going to be sharing with you uh, our total. And uh, if you have been a part of Flat Creek for any time, you know that when we share our total for our Lottie Moon Christmas offering every year, it is a big celebration. I mean, you could see confetti cannons. You could see all kinds of stuff. Um, so it's a big time. So we'll be announcing that next week. As of today, we have received $50,347. If you track back the last four years, I think Flat Creek, you've given well over $200,000 to Lottie Moon. You always uh, give more than we could ever ask for. So thank you so much for giving to that. We'll announce that next week. Next Sunday morning is Mission Sunday. Okay, uh, This is a day in which we design every year to talk about the missions of the church. Um, who we're given to, what avenues we are going into, what lands we are taking the gospel to. We have a very special guest next week, Ryan Scheibel, who is the pastor of the Church of the Waterbrooks in Boise, Idaho. Uh, he will be here. Um, Ryan is a good friend of mine. We actually support him through um, your missional giving, and so he's going to be here to share in both of our services next Sunday morning. So please come out and support him. But don't forget that next Saturday, next Saturday is Mission Saturday. Okay, so we are asking you to get out of the walls of the church next Saturday. All right, so Sunday school classes, they have come up with projects to go out in the community and reach people for Jesus. All right, now you may be here and say, well, I don't have a Sunday school class. I can't participate. You can. Next Saturday morning at 830, we're asking everybody to gather here in the fellowship hall. We're going to have free Chick-fil-A biscuits. Amen. Amen. If nothing else, you'll get a little Jesus through that. Uh, there'll be free Chick-fil-A biscuits at 8.30. We're only going to be there for just a few minutes. Just enough for you to find somewhere to serve. If you don't have a place to serve or you don't have a Sunday school class, you can get kind of linked in with somebody else and you can go out and serve Jesus in our community next Saturday. So it's going to be a big day. So please come out and participate in that next weekend. Guys, listen, it has been a great day and we certainly appreciate you and appreciate God's work in and through your life. As always, if you'd like to give to Flat Creek, you can give online, flatcreekchurch.net, or you can give on your way out the door. Um, either way, uh, guys, listen, we just love you and appreciate each one of you. Uh, today, Brother Caleb is going to pray us out, and uh, we'll see you at the doors in the back here in just a moment. Brother Caleb. Lord, thank you. thank you so much for the time we've been able to spend together and worship this morning. Thank you for the message, the challenges. Lord, I pray that uh, these things would be heavy on our hearts as we go our separate ways today. Lord, whatever time of fellowship we have with family and friends this afternoon, Lord, I pray that it would be uh, something we discussed and uh, try to learn how to apply better in our lives, Lord, how we can better serve you, more accurately hit the mark you've set before us, Lord, but also, most importantly, to bask in the grace of your son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for all you've done for us. Pray that you'd be with us as we go our separate ways. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you so much for joining us on the Sunday stream here at Flat Creek Baptist Church in Gainesville, Georgia. I am Pastor Zach Williams, and it is a great honor to have you join us through our online platform. It is our belief here at Flat Creek Baptist that you should be connected to a local congregation. And so if you are in the Gainesville, Georgia area, we want to encourage you to come out and be a part of what God is doing in our midst. There's nothing like being connected to a local body of believers. However, if you are tuning in today and you are not from the Gainesville, Georgia area and you're tuning in from some other place on earth, what we're going to encourage you to do is get attached to a local body of believers under good, sound, biblical, doctrinal preaching so that you can be encouraged in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and allow Flat Creek Baptist and our Sunday stream to just be a supplement to what God is doing in your life. Friends, I thank you so much once again for joining us. God bless you. And for more information, you can visit our website, flatcreekchurch.net. We'll 
sing this new song, for it is a song reserved for voices who once cried out for the Redeemer, those washed in the blood of the Lamb. Yes, these are the redeemed. Seven five Glory FM, your family radio station in North Georgia.